0: Hello and welcome to Quick Looks from the Long View. This is episode number 20. Uh, Quick Looks is a show where Lloyd and I get together and talk about new games. So uh, this week we have a couple of interesting titles that we're going to be talking about. Um, The Long View and Quick Looks, of course, are sponsored by Gamesurplus.com. Go and check out why Gamesurplus is my favorite retailer, bar none. Uh, the reasons are many, but uh, top in my list would have to be the customer service, the attention to detail, and the fact that if I'm looking for any kind of game, whether it's uh, available here in the United States or not, maybe it's something that's only uh, available uh, over in Germany or uh, you know maybe a Japan brand. I'm uh, um, kind of uh, title, um, you know, I'm trying to remember what's the other Japanese publisher. It's like uh, there's like Japan brand and there's like I, I, it's like it starts with an I. I think they're the um, company that originally put out trains. Remember that before it was picked oh, up yeah, by AEG? Oh, yeah, before um, Anyway, uh, it doesn't seem to matter. Like, all I have to do is send Velma an email over at games at gamesurplus.com and say, hey, I'm kind of interested in this game. You know, do you think you could get a copy for me? And usually the reply I get back is almost immediate that says, yeah, let me work on it. And then before I know it, I'm getting a message from her saying, yeah, it's on its way. I'll let you know when it comes in. I'll set it aside for you. Uh, is there anything else that you're looking for in the meantime that I can set aside from inventory? So a lot of times I'm able to take these special requests and then I can say, yeah, you know what? I was also thinking about getting this game or that game. Could you set those aside for me and ship them all together for me so I can you know, save on shipping? She's happy to do any of those kinds of personal things. That personal attention to detail is why I really love Gamesurplus.com. So uh, if you are looking for the latest, greatest game, or if you're looking for something obscure, something difficult to find, really, uh, I I can't recommend them highly enough. So go to Gamesurplus.com and find out why they're my favorite retailer. And if you do order from them, please be sure to tell them that the Longview sent you. My name is Jeff Gamble, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host for Quick Looks episodes. Uh, this week, it's going to be just Mono y mano. It's going to be Lloyd and I. Um, Carter is busy taking care of a new dog uh, that the family just got uh, from the rescue shelter. Um, cute little thing. I think it's some sort of chihuahua. Shih-tzu. It's an adorable softball. It, it is. It is. I think it weighs exactly two pounds, six ounces, they told me. So <laughs> I don't really. It looks more like a stuffed animal. Than an actual living thing. But, I've had uh, turkey
1: dinners that are bigger. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it is awful cute and he's taking care of it. So he's not going to be joining us even though he has played these games with us quite a bit. Um, so Lloyd and I are going to be uh, spending some time talking about uh, the title Gold West from TMG. Um, And we're also going to be talking about Scythe, which is the new one from Stonemeyer. So, um, Lloyd, uh, can you say hello to everybody perhaps this week as a uh, crusty old prospector? Time blarmit! somebody bring me my dynamite and hello and reverend. (laughs) (laughs) Give the governor a harumph. A harumph. (laughs) A harumph, a harumph. I didn't get a
1: harumph from that guy.
0: So without any further ado, it's on to the reviews. So the first title that we're going to be talking about this week um, is a game called Gold West. Now, this is not a brand new game. This game's been out for a little while. Uh, The designer is uh, J. Alex Kevern and the artist is listed as Adam McIver. It's published by Tasty Minstrel Games. It's for two to four players. It says it plays in 45 to 60 minutes, and I'd say that's entirely accurate. Um, Gold West is a is a really interesting game. Um, I gotta tell you, right off the bat, a, a bit of a spoiler um, for the review. I was really, really impressed with it. Um, primarily because it's just so clean. Like it just, everything just works very well. Everything kind of hums right along. The rules overhead is minimal, but the decisions are always interesting. They're always, you know, there's, uh, you know, I I would definitely say there were never any decisions that I made in the game that I kind of thought, well, this is the only good thing I could do. Um, And yet the rules complexity is very, very minimal. So the theme of the game here is that uh, you are kind of uh, prospectors, miners, however you want to think of it and you are kind of in this beautiful valley and in California, and you are gonna be sort of uh, mining and excavating in this valley trying to find resources um, such as copper and silver and gold. However, um, you're also going to need some other resources like lumber and stone uh, in order to build your camps, okay? Kind of like your little logging communities, your little, um, your little towns that are gonna spring up around these mines. And so part of the game and and the majority of the game is played on this uh, lovely little hexagonal board that you're going to sort of seed randomly with these tiles that are going to kind of tell you what um, resources are going to be available if you go there. However, most of them are hidden at the start of the game. And you're going to reveal them as the game goes on because every time that you uh, put a camp out, and you must put out a camp every single turn, um, every time you put a camp out, you're going to reveal any hidden tiles around your camp. It's almost like you scouted that region, you scouted that area. And so the board's going to gradually reveal itself. And at the same time, you're also going to have the opportunity to take these um, precious metals that you have mined, and you're going to have the opportunity to uh, export them uh, to contracts. You're going to have the opportunity to basically ship them off. Um, You can gain victory points by doing that. Um, You can also uh, build up what's called Boomtown, which is this interesting little kind of 3 by 3 grid Um, in the corner of the board that is randomly created. It's like a little uh, lovely little kind of a hole in the board that you're going to fill with these tiles, these rectangular tiles, which forms this grid. That grid is then going to give you these um, buildings that you can build uh, by basically spending some of the resources that you're collecting. uh, Different combinations of um, uh, copper and silver and gold will allow you to kind of mark that building like saying you built that building. Now, Building is kind of a loose term. It's not really a building. It's kind of an endgame scoring thing. Like, all of them have some sort of endgame scoring effect. So, you know, the theme is kind of loose there, but it works so well. And it, it's, it's kind of integrated into the overarching strategies in the game, which, you know, are, are many. Um, you know, filling contracts and transporting um, the metals that you mine. Um, Victory points that you can gain um, in the town and all of these different kinds of uh, ways and means and methods. And then, of course, there's also going to be victory points are going to be awarded for the person who just kind of pursues a mining strategy and trying to sort of um, every time you mine in a particular region, you're going to get a token. So if I'm mining in a silver region, I'm going to get a token that... Uh, is going to go on a track on my player board for silver or if I mine gold or copper or even if I'm just cutting down wood or getting stone. And whoever kind of has done the most work has the majority in each of those terrain types is going to score points. So you can kind of focus on that. You can focus on shipping, you can focus on um, exporting into contracts, you can focus on Boomtown. Most of the time, as with all good games like this, you're going to be sort of focusing on all of these things. You're going to be kind of mixing and matching a different combination each game, depending on how things go for you. So I really found the game to be a whole lot of fun. And it really does play in an hour or less, even at the four-player count. Mm -hmm. Once you know this game, it's very, very easy to get this done in in under an hour. And yet, by the time you're done, you're not sitting there saying, well, that was a pleasant little filler. Like You you feel like you actually played a good, solid, medium-weight game. And so I've really been taken with this, um, not just from the gameplay and the time standpoint, but just from the design standpoint. It's really nice to see such a clean design where everything um, works together very well, um, and yet there's not a lot of complexity. On your turn, you're basically going to be picking one of those tiles um, to uh, just pick up, and you take the resources that are on the tile. So it might be two gold, or it might be two copper and a silver, or it could be Two wood and a stone, or or who you know whatever. You simply pick up the tile, you take the resources, and then you know you're going to build your camp. You always have to put your camp um, in the spot where you took the tile, and it's awesome if they're connected because you get these great end game bonus points. So I've seen people just focus on that as a main strategy, right? Um, but you can also just jump around the board willy nilly. You don't have to. Be connected. If there is a particular group of resources that you really need, you can just go grab them and plop your camp down there. So I love that freedom. You know, you're not like being railroaded or pigeonholed in any way. So that's just really awesome. Um, and you know, you can build something in the town or you can fill a contract. So you're going to have these these phases of. Um, you know, spending your metals, uh, whatever you've accumulated, whether you're going to use it in Boomtown or whether you're going to use it for a contract or you're just going to transport them, you're also going to have the opportunity to put out another camp. And if you don't have the resources, you need to build a camp, which is either wood or stone, or you can build a settlement, which is like one of each, yeah, a, wood and a, stone. a wood and a stone, but it lets you put out a um. One of your camps plus one of these influence discs that you have. And it's going to kind of count double on those terrain types that I was discussing earlier. Um, So those are awesome too. But if you don't have those resources, (laughs) you still have to put out a camp. But basically what it says is that you've like – I forget what the term is. Like you've looted. Looted. Yeah, you've looted Looted the land. land. So you, you basically go, you grab the disc, you take the resources on it, but you don't get to put out your camp piece on the board You have to put it on this other little area of the board, which basically is going to make you lose victory points. Whoever has the most is going to lose, I think, two points per camp. Whoever has the second most, I think, loses one point per camp. So there's kind of also this little game of chicken over, like, who's going to loot the most during the game because then you're going to be losing points so that's a whole nother part of the game that's really cool and because you're putting out a camp piece either into the looting area or onto the board the timer of the game is once everybody has their camp pieces out the game's over so it's just simple 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 but such a great game and so much fun to play so that's kind of like my impressions about the game Lloyd. what were you struck with by it you know what did you think of it I really enjoyed this game for a couple of reasons. Uh, You didn't talk much about the
1: supply track yet, so that was kind of my favorite part of the game because it's got this very cool Mancala uh, kind of feel to it where you take all the resources that are in one of these three boxes. I'm sorry, one of these four boxes, and then you have to drop one resource at a time in every box above it until you're left with whatever falls outside of this resource track, the supply track, And that's what you actually get to use as your resources for that turn. Right, right. So there's a lot of decision-making, not only in which box you're going to grab those resources from, but also which resources you're going to leave behind. Mm -hmm. And that's where you just mentioned that, you know, sometimes you can't put a camp out. Well, there were a couple of times that I've played this where I could have been left with maybe one cube of either wood Or the stone, stone, Mm -hmm. and maybe I decided not to because if I leave it in the box just before it, I'll be able to take it with the opposite wood or stone and be able to build a settlement next time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm going to have to build a camp into that little wanted area because I went looting, but I'm going to be able to maybe jump up on one of those influence tracks because I get to put a settlement out.
0: Right, right. So
1: I really appreciated that supply track. The other thing that was really cool about it is anytime you collect resources, you decide where in that supply track you put them. If you put them in the topmost box, which will let you immediately use them the next Next turn, turn. Mm -hmm. you get no points. But if you put them in the next lowest, it's one point. And then the next lowest, it's two points. And if you put them all the way at the bottom of that supply track, you're getting three points. So even though you're going to be delaying how long it takes you to get those resources out, mm-hmm. you're also getting points for it at the same time.
0: Yeah. And three points is not inconsiderable in this no, game. So, yeah. And, and I like how you called that, you know, it's like a mancala because you're picking up and you're dropping off. But, you know, I kind of joked with, uh, with you when you were playing this, that, like this is a this is like the kinder, gentler version of the Trajan, Trajan. Uh, Mancala, right? <laughs> the Trajan Mancala will like hurt you, you know, yeah. like physically hurt you. you like it'll, you know, when you get the aneurysm, you know, it's <laughs> just like you pop a blood vessel, you like, you know, <laughs> that's what Trajan will do to you. This is like it still has that kind of weighty decision-making process because you are you're setting yourself up either for the next turn and then who knows what's going to happen, or you're setting yourself up for a longer term strategy where you're going to, because there's 12 turns I think in the game. Yep. So if you put stuff down in that third box, you're really setting yourself up for like the next four turns. That's almost a third of the game. Yeah. So, you know, plus you're getting points because yes. you're delaying the, the gratification of getting those resources. And so I really like that about the game. Like it, it offers those same kind of choices and the same kind of maneuvering. It's like, okay, so I pick these four resources up in my bottom box, the three point box but what I drop off on the way is really important to set up for those next three turns. And then what I have left when I'm off the board is going to be what I can do this turn. And if you make a mistake and what you drop off, you can kind of hurt yourself. So it's got some teeth to it. It's just not as brutal as the Trajan Moncala, you know? It
1: doesn't make me stand up and leave the table for a few seconds no. to reset my brain and yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let me think about that right, again.
0: exactly. So again, <laughs> It works beautifully, and it's a really, really interesting part of the game. Um, But it's not very complicated to teach. I mean, you can teach this whole game very, very quickly. It's very intuitive, especially if you've played any board games in in our hobby at all. I think a lot of these mechanisms are going to feel similar. They're going to feel comfortable, but they're combined in a really interesting way. Um, So that creative use of a Mancala... The um, kind of majority scoring of those influence tracks for the different types of terrain, filling contracts. I mean, there's so many games about filling contracts, yeah. but, but then there's also this whole shipping thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, it, you have like your, this beautiful little wooden coach piece, right? looks like a stagecoach. It does. And as you deliver certain types of medals, you move along this track and then you get bonuses when you reach certain spaces. And so that's really cool, too. And then, of course, you have the Boomtown and the Wanted area. And so there's all these different things going on. And when you put them all together, it's this really seamless, fun game to play. I mean, I've played it two-player, three-player, and four-player. And I've enjoyed the heck out of it every single time I've played it. And I kind of feel a little sad that I didn't review it earlier. Um, you know, I just... I, it was one of those games that I heard a lot about when it came out. And I just kind of didn't get around to it. Um, and then I remember uh, asking uh, uh, some of uh, you know the people over at uh, Tasty Minstrel Games, uh, the kind folks over there, and said, hey, you know, uh, do you think you could send a, you know a copy for review? So they did provide this as a review copy, but doesn't influence this review in any way shape or form uh, because this game is just a lot of fun and fills that great niche of I want a good game that I can play but I only have an hour I don't have Mm -hmm. two or three hours you know earlier today we just played uh, Age of Empires uh, or Glenn Drover's yeah yeah, Discovery Age of Empires right and wonderful wonderful game but it took almost three hours you know and that was a three-player game when yeah. you play at a full six-player count, it's an amazing game, but you're going to spend four hours probably playing it, yeah. you know? Um, this game gives you all sorts of great decisions, but in an hour's time frame. And considering how abstracted some of the things are, like the terrain-type tracks, and it still kind of feels oddly thematic. It really know, does. I don't know how. I don't know how they yeah. pulled it off, but it does, yeah. Um, can you pinpoint anything like... Why does it seem to work thematically so well? Um,
1: Well, the other thing that I like so much about the game is the variety that you're going to have every time you play it. Because you mentioned the Boomtown... And the way you kind of assemble this boomtown literally into the board, you only pick, I think, maybe four or five buildings out of like 20 or 25 that come with it. So every time you play it, you're going to have different buildings and different combinations. And even when you set up that boomtown, they show you like little diagrams of all the different ways you can arrange those tiles into that space. I love the variety of the setup of the board itself. These Mm -hmm. nice big hexagon-shaped pieces that are the different types of terrain. And you just flip them out at random. And whatever orientation they are, that's how they go in. Even the contracts. I think in a game with four players, you pick eight contracts for the whole game out of this nice big stack of cards. So, again, every time you play it, it's got kind of a different feel. It's got kind of a different take a lot of different strategies that you can look at, a lot of different different things you can try. And for an hour's game, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what I like so much about maybe just the the thematic stuff going on in this game is some of the reasons that I enjoy um, the original version of Dominant Species is that when you look at this board, it's a very simple board. Right. There's not a lot of unnecessary artwork. There's not a lot of unnecessary icons. Everything is so clean to read and you've got this nice little like lake in the middle Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. these different regions around it. They're very clean to see Mm -hmm. the resources are very easy to see on the tiles. And so, you know, I I can kind of just get myself into the game a lot quicker uh, because I'm just, I'm looking at this very nice, clean layout, this great little bit of artwork that just works so well yeah, with a game nice. that yeah. is this short, but has this much weight to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I also like the exploration part of it. You know, almost it it does give a little bit of that prospecting feel. Yeah, because you can so flip much up the of the ones right, around. Yeah. yeah, so much of those. Uh, you know, the the terrain is hidden from you, and then when you plop a camp down, or what I also like is when another player plops their camp down. You know, everybody has to flip over the tiles that connect to the camp that was just. Um, Placed, So, you know, a lot of times you you get to see these little uh, pockets, these little corners of tasty resources, and you're like, wow, you know, that that looks awesome. Um, And then you have these tough decisions to make. It's like, well, do I go for the metals that I know I can deliver and, you know, use for contracts or use for Boomtown? But if I keep not giving myself any of those resources that I need to build my camps or build my settlements – uh, I'm going to really be hamstringing myself later when it comes to victory points. So, you know, I I really like that, and I kind of feel that that sort of uh, anything goes, you know, right? Yeah, sort of fits the theme in a way, you know, that that I can just and you can totally mess with each other too. Like if you see oh, someone did building, that all the time. I know, yeah, Like you see someone building a nice, beautiful, long string <laughs> yeah. of camps you know you can cut somebody off right. so that you know well i guess now that's you know cuz you only score i think it's 2 points per camp for your largest string of connected camps yep. so i think carter cut you off twice oh, and yeah. sliced and diced you so that you know you ended up getting i think something like 8 points i ended up getting something like 20 you know yeah. Um, I think no, I think it was twenty-two. I think I had eleven of my twelve connected. I had one that I plopped down in the middle of nowhere, but the rest of them were. And all you connected. even
1: had more because one of the Boomtown things yeah, that you the, built yeah, gave you yeah. extra two points, extra points for connected. Whatever. Yeah, so yeah,
0: I mean, it was crazy. And those are the kind of combos that you can make in the game. So there's this kind of wide open, anything goes. Um, and I like the 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 looting part. I think that's kind of thematic, (laughs) and I like you know the fact that you're going to pay a price for that. You're going to lose some victory points, and so uh, the games that we've played have all been close. They've been very enjoyable, and so there's really nothing bad that I can say about this uh, other than I wish that I had played it when it came out like eight months ago or might have been close to it because it was... Gen Con, I was talking with Daniel, um, uh, Daniel Haddock, who's a, a representative at uh, Tasty Minstrel at Gen Con like two years ago. So Gen Con is just starting now yeah. Uh, as we're recording this. So it must have been last year's Gen Con. And uh, Daniel's a really nice guy. And, you know, he said, oh, we got two titles, you know, that are going to be coming out soon. And, you know, I think you might like them. And one of them is Gold West. And I remember talking with him about it and thinking, oh, you know, that sounds kind of cool. But I remember secretly thinking... Yeah, yeah, it sounds like Carson City or something, you know, and I thought, eh, you know, I've got enough Wild West game, you know, I'm not, it's not really, eh, I played Deadwood, mm-hmm. play Carson City, eh, you know, whatever. Um, so I think maybe in my mind I, I prejudiced myself a little bit against it, thinking it was just going to be another, like, Western-themed game, no big, no big whoop, right? Come to find out, you know, almost a year later... I'm kicking myself for not trying this earlier. So uh, there are still copies of this that are available at, uh, you know, uh, I know Game Surplus had some. Um, You know, they're still in print. So I would really recommend going and checking this thing out because this game is going to give you a lot of game and a nice package in a reasonable play time. And I really give this one a very enthusiastic thumbs up. How about you, Lloyd?
1: I also enjoy the game and I'll go as far to say that this is one that I would actively seek out to play on a regular basis. Yeah. Not just that I, yeah, I'd be happy playing that game. No, I would actually say, Hey, this is a really good, you should game. try this. Yeah, let's try it because it's got a lot of good choices and it's going to be quick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, two enthusiastic recommendations from Lloyd and I for, um, gold West, uh, by Tasty Minstrel Games uh, Is our publisher uh, Designer of J. Alex uh, Kevern And artist of Adam McIver So go check it out
1: Wait, McIver did the art? Did did, did did he use a, a Swiss Army knife And some duct tape to make everything?
0: <laughs> did you see they're bringing that show back? Are they really? They are. What is the point of that? You know, it's no, no. You can't you can't you can't redo that show. No, you know, you really it's like can't. wait, I got a stick of gum with the wrapper and then and I got pen. I got a I got a pen and I got a pebble from my boot <laughs> that's stuck in the sole. And I can make a bomb. You know, like, so what he did It's MacGyver. I think it's MacIver, but it does oh, kind of sound okay. like MacGyver. Um, but yes, wonderful art. Um, it is good art. Not because it was made with chewing gum wrappers. So <laughs> anyway, that's the review for cold West. Go check it out. So the last game that we're going to talk about in this episode of Quick Looks is going to be Scythe. 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 (laughs) Almost as much fun to say as Mufasa. Ooh, Mufasa.
1: (laughs) Say it again. Ooh.
0: Scythe. Um, Yeah, Scythe. Um, Scythe really does seem to be, you know, being said in sort of reverent, hushed tones uh, as it makes its way out uh, to people, uh, Kickstarter backers and... uh, general uh, release. I think there's going to be the um, release at uh, Gen Con, which is going on right now, and I'm pretty sure it's hitting the stores right after Gen Con. So, Scythe. Uh, this game is designed by Jamie Stegmaier, um, and the publisher is Stonemeyer Games. Uh, the artist is an artist of note, uh, Jacob Rizalski. Um, a lot has been made of the art uh, of Scythe. A lot has been made of the production of Scythe, the Kickstarter history, kind of made by Scythe. I don't know if anything has topped it since. I think they finished at somewhere ridiculous, like 1.8 million or something. It was, it, it was the largest board game Kickstarter that I had ever seen up to that point. I don't think that anything has surpassed it. Um, this is a game that is uh, at heart kind of like a worker placement sort of area control engine building kind of a game set in a uh, post sort of an alternate reality post World War One sort of imagined world where, uh, you know, the Great War has just ended, but this Great War was not necessarily fought in the trenches. Uh, This war was fought with these huge machines, these mechs um, that were designed and and built at this uh, factory um, this factory that just spewed out these armaments, almost like a Krupp's kind of a you know uh, gun you know uh, works uh, that that just supplied the military machinery to all of the um, you know different uh, nations at war and in the devastation that's kind of happened everything has kind of been thrown back to almost like the agrarian age again right mm-hmm. so the landscape has in some places been blasted and destroyed but in other places um it's it's starting to kind of show signs of life as people get back to work and there's fields and farms and you know in the distance you you'll see the the hulking kind of remains of these mechs and Um, Some of them are um, still uh, moving about the countryside because they're still active and there are soldiers who remain and different factions that have kind of survived and risen from the ashes of this huge conflict. And so the players are kind of representing these different factions that are kind of trying to assert their sort of dominance or supremacy in the area through uh, resource collection, through direct conflict, through... Getting to the uh, kind of remains of the factory and seeing what technologies they can steal from there, and um, you know, salvage—maybe be a better word than steal—kind of grab from there and and sort of give themselves a leg up over their competitors um, into trying to establish themselves as the dominant power in the region. So, uh, the game was kind of announced a a while back, and uh, the I think the thing that really propelled this more than anything else uh, were two things. Number one the uh, sort of the pedigree and lineage of the designer publisher right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Jamie uh, has not made tons of games um, Stonemeyer, however made a huge splash most notably with Viticulture and Tuscany but also with Euphoria and they, they also released like kind of like their first title not designed by uh, the guys that kind of founded everything and started everything which is Between Two Cities and so you know, they kind of really made a name for themselves with Viticulture, at least in my mind. That I mean, I kind of think that's a new classic game. It got the new classic award from me. Um, not just because of the components, uh, which were top-notch. Like, just beautiful components, beautifully produced game. But the gameplay itself was really well considered. Um, it was interesting. It was highly thematic, um, beautiful to look at. And what little kind of problems you know, or issues that people might have found with the game with certain customer cards and things were sort of rapidly, um, not just corrected, but improved upon with Tuscany, which kind of revised the game all over again and offered up more options and a whole different board and different ways to play. And then this, this beautiful set of these ridiculous uh, modular expansions you could plug in and add and just change the experience. So. That I think they they got a lot of credibility um, as a company as a small company starting off with a bang. I mean, you know, I think about how a lot of the game companies that we know now got started, and you know, they they had issues or problems or you know, they they might have struggled with production or they might have had a couple of games that were kind of duds. I mean, even Z-Man kind of got his start with the the little the little crazy card games like oh, you know. Yeah the i i can't even they're like all B movie card games, yeah, you know, which i don't think anybody really thinks are great games, but they were quirky and they were kind of fun and you know it, and it kind of set Zev up as a guy who was willing to kind of look at all kinds of different games and you know he was willing to explore all kinds of different designs and as his company grew into a powerhouse, you know it, this company Stonemeyer started off really high. You know, I kind of felt, you know, when you have Viticulture and Euphoria as, you know, your first two kind of big titles, that really kind of sets expectations high. So I think the expectations for Scythe were high because of that. And I think the expectations were really high because of the artwork, Um, the art which Jamie released, you know, pictures here and there um, that this artist came up with, uh, uh, Jacob Rozalski were just so awesome you know just really evocative very kind of um, painterly in their approach you know these were not kind of images that look like they were just kind of created with you know photoshop and adobe illustrator these were images that just looked absolutely fantastic these these beautiful almost like they could hang in a gallery And I think those images and how evocative they were really got people pumped, like got people invested in the theme of the game, the concept of the game. So I think those two things working together really drove uh, the initial kind of interest in the game. And then the hype just continued to build through the Kickstarter. Um, You know, I uh, have been fortunate enough before, um, you know, Jamie has sent uh, review copies of games to me. Um, you know, for review on the show, and you know, I was just like, oh, you know, cool, you know. And I asked him. I said, do you think you could send me a copy aside? And he's like, sure. You know, I'd be happy to send you, you know, a copy of the retail version once it comes out. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And then about like two weeks later, after following the Kickstarter, I emailed him back. I'm like, yeah, you can forget about that. I'm just gonna buy one <laughs> because you know, I mean, all of the upgrades to the components and then the coins. I was just like, all right, the coins, coins sold it for me. I was like, oh all right, goodness. I gotta have the metal coins. And now all the faction pieces, the meeples are going to look different. They're going to be individual sculpts for each faction. And then the actual uh, leader pieces and the mechs, I'm like, okay, I have to have this. So I told Jamie, uh, I sent him a little email and said, uh, I backed it. There's just no way I wasn't going to back it. Um, And then, of course, it was kind of cool because, you know, I watched the project continue to grow, continue to hit stretch goals. Um, but more importantly, I watched it become this incredibly successful uh, Kickstarter. And I was really excited about that and very happy about that because, you know, I've had quite a few Kickstarter experiences. And I can honestly say that I think StoneMeyer um, has done the best job of anybody, really, that I've seen run Kickstarters, keep you informed, keep you in the loop. Uh, you know, he even, uh, uh, towards the end there, he, he said, okay, you know, the games are, are loaded on cargo ships, uh, and here's like a link to a program where you can track the ship yourself, <laughs> you know, for those people who are just like, where's the game, you know, it's, it's in the team? Pacific, <laughs> 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 where in the Pacific, you know, it's right over here, you know? So, I mean, just the level of communication is fantastic. And so I was really happy for, for the company and, and for Jamie that, uh, uh, you know and for Jacob as an artist that you know this game was so well received um you know because they really have done a fantastic job uh, I feel with all of their kickstarters uh NSKN has done a really nice job with their kickstarters too I remember when I bought uh, backed, uh, progress evolution of technology mm-hmm. that was a beautifully run kickstarter um you know just so quick so um just everything was right on schedule um and and just a, a wonderful job so I think all of those things kind of came together at a perfect time and people are just like okay, we got to back this thing. So the real question coming out of all of this is was the game going to live up to the hype? You know, was it going to be as amazing as everybody hoped it would be based on how amazing it looked or was it going to be a disappointment? And so, you know, what I'd like to do is I'd kind of like to turn it over to you Lloyd and and if you could just kind of Give just a, a little bit of a basic overview, maybe of uh, you know how the games play. We can't do it all. It's, no, it, there's we can't. too much going on. But you know the basic overview. But I also want to kind of hear your impressions before I talk about mine because you know you didn't back this one. No, I didn't, and you weren't kind of following it and, and weren't really part of that hype machine. So um, I I almost think that your reaction might be a little bit. Uh, less biased than even my own reaction as a backer. So um, why don't you take it away for a little bit?
1: Gotcha. And before I kind of explain how this game works, I just want to really quickly explain that this is very much like a viticulture experience for me. The very first time I played viticulture, I thought it was a fantastic game, and I had no clue what I was doing. Just about the entire time through the game. (laughs) And I'm sitting there and my head was like ready to explode with, oh my goodness, I need to do this to do this, but I don't have enough guys. Oh, and I need to get another worker, but there's no spots left. Well, Scythe gives you that exact same type of feeling the first time you play it. It is incredibly heavy. There's a lot of combos that you'll eventually learn and look Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. the more you play the game. So with that in mind, uh, Scythe, like you said, is basically a worker placement on your own unique action selection track. And everybody has the same four spots on their little player boards, and you have one single worker. That worker goes into one of those fields, and you do either the top half of that action selection, the top half and the bottom half, or just the bottom half. And then on your next turn, you have to go to a different action selection space. Unless you're the Russians. Unless you're the Russians, which I was, which was kind of cool. But, I mean, that that seems very simple. But the actions themselves are, are pretty heavy. So you've got one which will let you produce your resources. Mm-hmm. You've got a spot that will let you uh, move around the board. You've got a spot that will let you... Trade, which is actually incredibly important in this game because at the beginning of the game, you're not going to have all the resources you want.
0: You're not going to have access to them, right? You're not going to have
1: access to them. And then the fourth space, um, I don't actually remember what the fourth space was. Oh, my
0: goodness. Yeah, well, you have the move, right? Move. You Uh, have the the gather resources. Trade. You have trade, and then you have what's... uh, You basically are boosting your power, Right. Your, oh, power that's track, right. Right. your power track, right? Power track. I forget exactly what they call that. You're right, but uh, it's probably why we both forgot. Right. It. But yeah, it's the one that, that boosts kind of your power rating because it's like recruitment. I think. Um, no, recruitment is the bottom action yes. um, where it's enlist, right? Where, enlist, where you're going to enlist. Was. Um, but yeah, you 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 have this this wonderful kind of um, two tiered um, sort of rating track. So you have power. Yep. which represents your military power, your strength. Okay? And that's your actually a commodity
1: strength. for you in the game, it too. It can
0: be, yeah. And then you also have your popularity, which is very important because your popularity is going to be a resource that sometimes you have to spend. But it's also, most importantly, going to be one of the things that determines how many points you get for each of the different things that you score for. Because at yeah. it's most basic, you're going to score for every hex that you control, You're going to score for every achievement that you've made during the course of the game. We'll talk more about achievements later. And you're going to score points for every pair of resources that you have under your control by the end of the game. Well, depending on what your popularity is, you might score only one or two points or you could score three or you could score four. Um, So it's really, really important to maintain that popularity. But every time you're aggressive, you lose popularity (laughs) um, because people look at you as a big bully. So um, yeah, so you have those kind of main it's bolster. Thank you very much. Um, it's called bolster. So you have the bolster action, you have the move action, the produce action, and production. Part of production is getting more people on the board. Yes, because you go to a village and people make people. <laughs> they do. It's kind of like the Stone Age love hut. <laughs> it yeah. is. Unless you so, put a mill
1: out and then you have you a, put baby a, mill. Mill. <laughs> a baby
0: mill. Have a baby mill, not a puppy mill. A baby mill. Um, and so, yeah, so then you, you have those basic actions, and then you have your bottom actions, right? Mm-hmm. And your bottom actions are also going to be extremely important. So you have a bottom action that lets you put out your mech.
1: Yeah, build okay? the mechs.
0: And building your mechs is very important in this game. You have four that you can build. And if you build all four, you, you have done what's called an achievement. You've scored an achievement. And achievements are timers for the game. Yep. And they're also things that are going to get you points uh, at the end. So they're very important. Um, the first person to put out six achievements, six of these little star tokens, is going to signal the end of the game. And then you're going to evaluate the board, see where you're on that popularity track, among some other things. And then that's going to determine the winner. So the person who puts the six star out is not always the winner, which I really like because uh, it's not just a straight race game, right? Um, so you have the mechs part, which is very important. The mechs are going to improve your mobility. They're going to allow you to move faster. And they're also going to allow you to cross rivers, Okay. Um, And then there are two unique mech abilities for each of the factions in the game that are going to be different than any other um, faction, and that's really cool. Um, Then you have the upgrade, which is incredibly important and probably one of the coolest parts of the game, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because you've got all these nice little blocks that set into your player board, and you've got
1: these recruitment tokens that set into your player board, and with this upgrade ability... You can remove one of these blocks and put it down on the bottom half of your board somewhere and pay one less resource than any time you do that bottom action, which is
0: really great. So what the upgrade action does is it basically makes your top actions more potent. So instead of only being able to move two guys, now I can move three. Or instead of only being able to produce resources in two hexes, now I can produce in three hexes, Mm -hmm. right? But then you take that cube that actually sits inside the player board because they're, they're, um, they're dual thickness, right? So yes. there's um, the top layer and then the bottom layer, and there's cutouts so that your pieces actually fit in the board, which is just a wonderful. So you'll take it out of the board, revealing a bonus now underneath. Like now I can produce in three hexes instead of two. But then you take that cube and you put it into one of your bottom actions. Your bottom actions have cutouts, Showing you resources that you're paying. So my faction, uh, not my faction board, but my player board might say that every time I want to build a structure, uh, because there are four structures that you can build in the game, every time I want to build a structure, it costs me four wood. That's just the maximum that you would have to pay for any kind of resource. And all of the boards are different. So it might only it might cost me four wood, but it might only cost you three. Mm-hmm. But then again, my mechs only cost two metal. Whereas, you know, Sally's over there costs three metal and Tim's costs four. (laughs) So they're all kind of intermixed, right? But the part about the upgrade action that's cool is when you increase your benefit on a top action, you're reducing your cost on the bottom action. So now instead of my structures costing me four wood, they only cost me three. And then if I do that upgrade action again, now I can put it in there. Now they only cost me two. And so you're able to kind of get this wonderful double benefit every time you take this upgrade action. So a lot of the game focuses on that upgrade action. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, definitely. And that was one of the first things I think I struggled with my first game, along with actually building mechs. Go yeah, figure yeah, in a game yeah. about mechs. <laughs> my first game, I built one mech, yeah. you know, around before you put out that sixth star yeah. and ended the game. And I was like, what, what, what? Yep. Yeah, but yeah. um yeah, no, there's there's so much going on in this game. So those bottom actions, you can build mechs, you can build buildings, yes. you can do what's called recruit, and you've got these four uh round cylinders that are also inset yep. to your uh, player boards. And underneath each one of those is some sort of bonus that you get anytime the player to your left or the player to your right chooses that same action box on their board. Right. So when you do these recruits, they call them lieutenants, I think, in the game. Okay. And you pull that out, and now you might get a free heart. Which, which is your is popularity. Your popularity. Yeah. Or you might get a free power, or you might get a coin. Or, you can uh, get a card. Or you can get card. a card, yeah. a combat card. And then you also have along the bottom, uh, well, let's see, we have building, we have upgrade, we have mechs, and then we have, the yes, and then this recruit. So those are your four secondary actions. Right. And at the beginning of the game, you're going to find that for probably the first two or three actions or rounds that you take, you're only going to be able to do the top. Right. Because you're not going to have the resources you need to pay for some of those lower actions. But once you start getting those nice little combos down, like you said, with the upgrade, once you start getting into that cycle where You're doing an upgrade, so you're getting a benefit on the top, and you're reducing a cost on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Then you start to see these really nice little synergies. But something else that's interesting to note, you were talking about how different resources for each player might be different for these things. The top half and the bottom half don't even line up for every player. No, there's some differences my first box might be production on top, And then the bottom would be upgrade, whereas your first box might be movement on top. Right. And then the upgrade. So it's really interesting to see how those lieutenants work because if I take a lieutenant in a box and I look at my box on my board and think, well – Okay, gee, I know so-and-so is going to do a lot of moving. Let me take this lieutenant. And I look over at their box and, oh, it's the trade box. And they haven't traded once yet this game. Right. Well, then I'm probably not going to get that bonus as often as I would like.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of interesting decisions to make there. Um, and then, of course, when you take that uh, that cylinder off your uh, uh, player board, it goes on your faction board. It gives you a one-time yeah, bonus, Yeah, a nice little one-time right? bonus. And so all of these things kind of intermesh to make a, a, a game that, once again, I don't consider to be too rules complex. Not but, really. You know, once you start playing, it's really kind of easy. Like, the, the act of taking a turn is easy. And for the most part during the game, the turns are quick.
1: They're incredibly They're, they're quick, very
0: quick. Yes. It, it, it reminds me of a Matt Gertz game in that way. Like a Rondell game, oh. where it's like, okay... Um, I move to um, you know production. I take you know these three things done. You know, uh, I move to this. I take this done. You know, um, Scythe kind of feels that way too. It's like okay, so I select move. I can move this guy here. I move this guy here. I move that guy there. Done. You know, and your um, board is
1: almost like a rondelle mm-hmm. in the yeah, fact yeah, that you, bit, you yeah. have to go to, you a, have different to, move spot. to a different yeah. spot.
0: Yeah. Unless so, you're Russian. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's really, really kind of cool. But the, the other thing that's really nifty while we're talking about this is the fact that each faction is different. Each faction has its own sort of innate ability, right? So the red faction, uh, the Russian faction, uh, they are able to take the same action over and over. You don't have to move mm-hmm. your, your worker, your action selection pawn, right? Um, the uh, kind of Polish faction, the white faction, has this great ability where whenever they run across an encounter, because there's these lovely encounter cards, big tarot-sized cards that have beautiful artwork on them, oh, yeah. and they're um, you know, an encounter that you know, your character is going to have with uh, you know, people in the kind of world of the game, and there's usually three or four choices on that card and you read through the choices, you look at the art, they tell you to pass the card around so that everybody can see, you know, because it's 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 really kind of cool and thematic. And then you pick one of those. Well, the the sort of Polish faction gets to pick two. Mm-hmm. And quite often there's there's the first one is going to be something like get $2 and a wood from, you know, a friendly peasant that you helped along the road, blah 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 blah, right? And then the next one will say, "Pay two dollars to get a secret stash of three um, steel that the peasant had uh, back at his house." Right? Well, when you get to pick both of those, the, the money almost always washed. So it's mm-hmm. like I got two, but I paid two. But now I've ended up with you know three metal and a wood, which in game terms is awesome. I That's mean, it's, it's really good to have those resources. They're they're not always easy to come by. So. You know, that's a really great advantage. Um, Then there's another faction that can use combat cards, which we haven't talked about yet because we haven't talked about combat. But there are these little cards that uh, players start the game with um, at least one of them except for one faction that starts with none. And it's this faction. It's the yellow faction. And that faction um, can use combat cards. You can discard a combat card as a resource. So I kind of look at it as, like, bullying, you know? Yeah. You're just, like, you think you want some wood, and then you, like, you know, you do, like, the flex, like, Arr! you know? It's just like, I got your wood right here. Yeah, I you would know? pump you off. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 it's okay. We don't need two wood. We only need one, you know? <laughs> don't hurt me, right? So it's really kind of cool. So that that's very effective, right? Um, and then you have the blue faction, Which is able to – the workers, your little people, your meeples that you're going to put out on the board which gather resources for you, they can swim. Yeah. the Nordic faction. They can like swim across rivers. Yeah. So they're cool because nobody else can do that and the other players have to wait until they build mechs that can then carry their people across these rivers. So that's really cool. That's a neat advantage. And then finally you have the, the, the black faction, which is like the German faction. Mm-hmm. And those um, that faction's special ability is that they can gain an unlimited number of achievements through combat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're a very aggressive faction to play. They can also complete uh, multiple objectives. They can complete two objective cards, I believe. Uh, maybe they can even complete more. I, I haven't played the black faction, the so one I haven't played yet. Um, But they can uh, complete multiple um, goal cards, right? Because every player, we haven't talked about this yet, another layer of the game, (laughs) you're dealt two of these kind of mission or goal cards. And as soon as you can demonstrate that you've met the conditions on it, you can reveal it and you put one of those achievement stars up there. Mm -hmm. And then you discard the other one because you can only ever complete one. Well, the black faction, the German faction, I believe, can complete both of them, not just the one. And... In the game, if you get into direct conflict with another player, if you fight and you win, you can gain a achievement star um, through two combats. Mm-hmm. So if you win two different combats, you can get two different achievement stars. Well, the German faction can get as many as they, as they want. So they're kind of baked in to be very aggressive. And so what you end up with are all of these different factions, which are all going to play differently. They're all going to suggest different kinds of strategies. But then the player boards are randomly shuffled and thrown out there so I might be the German faction that would love to just go and stomp on the board and just beat up on everybody but I got the board where mechs cost four metal so meanwhile you know peace love and flowers over there okay the happy hippie let's go travel and meet people okay the Polish faction got the one where mechs only cost two so it's like great you know um, so you have to adapt. And so the factions give you a, a idea for a direction, but they don't determine your direction. Like, you, you can adapt that direction, you can modify it, you can go completely against type and win. I've seen it happen. Usually it's best if you utilize your faction's ability Uh, in, In some way, you know. And then I've seen some people just ride it, you know. I mean, they just ride that ability. I did that when I played the yellow faction. I was just spending combat. I built a whole engine to get nothing but combat cards. So that I could get tons of combat cards in my hand. So that every time I wanted to do something that required resources, I needed one less. You can only do it once, you know, on your turn. But it's huge if you only have to pay... You know, I upgraded enough so that my structures only cost me two wood. Well, guess what? Now they only cost me one wood and a card. Mm -hmm. One metal and a card gets me a mech. And so, you know, I I had a very small workforce spread out on different resources, and all I had to do was have one of each because I could supplement with cards for the most part. So that was, like, really, really cool. Um, At the WBC, this game was getting played everywhere. And I played with this young man who... Is like a gaming savant. I don't remember his name, but I have never been beaten this badly in any game that I've ever played, and wow. that's that's including Jesse Dean, who smacked me around in uh, Mage Knight. You know, and made me feel like an idiot. This kid, young young man, I should say, he's in his twenties, um, just wiped the floor with all of us. And you know how he did it? He did it with the recruitment action. He got or the of uh, the enlist. He got all four of those cylinders out. First thing, so that he was constantly being fed with extra resources, extra things, because anytime anybody did anything to his left and his right or himself, he was getting all these bonuses. And so he just rode that little engine and was able to get all six of his stars out. He put his six star out. Now, granted, I was one turn away from uh, accomplishing two achievements in one turn. Um, and, but I ended up with, um, I think, two or three. Wow. Right? I think I had two. No, I had two because I was ready to put another two out, which would have made it respectable. Then I would have been six to four, right? <laughs> <laughs> and one of the other players had two, and the other player had one. And it was like this <laughs> kid just destroyed us. I don't know. And I remember just, like, looking at the board, looking at him, like, I have no idea what just happened there. <laughs> and, then, like, on his last turn, it was, like, going to be a way that he could, like, I forget what it was. It might have been like a a conflict or something. He was going to attack either me or this other person. And I was just like, what's the point, man? You know, it's like picking the poor, you know, emaciated, pathetic little puppy, you know, it's like we were all just uh, so it, it was amazing to me, not just because of this kid, but the reason I'm relating the story is because it was a whole strategy that I never thought of. I looked at those enlist actions and those were always the last thing that I did. Because, for whatever reason, uh, the enlist action requires food. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I was just like, you know what? No, they just don't seem that valuable to me. I want to upgrade, 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 upgrade. That was always my first thing. Get out my max, Upgrade. Get out my max, Get some people out there. You know, and and I've been winning. You know, I've been doing pretty well. And then along comes this other player who has a totally different view of how to play the game and just, just completely destroyed us. So... What I like about what you said initially, Lloyd, was, was this. A lot of people are calling this a medium-weight game. And I think that's true. I think it is a medium-to-medium-heavyweight game from a rules standpoint. But as you continue to play, like you said, you see more combinations, more synergies, more opportunities, and different strategies, different combinations of boards and faction boards everything there's just so much variety in the game considering the fact it's a static board so each faction starts in the same location the board does not change nothing changes about the board everything in this game that changes is in the encounter cards is in the goal cards is in the player boards uh what faction you're you're dealt um All of these different, you know, wonderful kind of systems of the game that keep it fresh, keep it different, and give you lots of different avenues to explore. So I've played this game probably, geez, I've probably played it close to nine or ten times already because I took it with me to the WBC. You know, we played it before I went to the WBC with Carter, and we played it at least – I know you played it twice. I played it at least three or four times here at home. And then I took it to WBC and we played it a few more times there. I played it when I got back. Um, it's just, it's it's an awesome, it's a really, really interesting game. And so for me, um, I kind of felt that this game met my expectations. All right. Um, what did you think of the game experience as a whole after you played it? You know, You had that first brain burn and then the second time you played, you said you felt like you had more of a plan, right? So, what I do did. you
1: think? I had I had a lot better handle of what I wanted to do. Uh, the first game I played, like I said, I got my first mech out a turn or two before the end of the game. <laughs> the second time I played, I got all four of my mechs out. I think before you and Carter had maybe even two yeah. two out. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely had a plan, and I was going gung ho. I'm going to get all these mechs out. And then I forget which faction I had. Oh, I had the red faction, right? And I don't remember what their bonus mech abilities were that were special. Oh, it would let me travel instantly from, from, a,
0: village from a village to, to the factory, to the factory mm-hmm. in the center. And you jump to the factory in like in like the third third turn, turn or something, I think, yeah. which
1: was awesome because when you go to that factory, the first person there gets to look at this stack of cards, mm-hmm. and it's only a couple of cards. So that's even random every game. Yeah, it's
0: one more in a number of players, but there's a lot of cards. There's a yeah. lot
1: of cards. And the cool thing is every one of those cards is a new action space that's going to be just available to you and your faction. Mm-hmm. So you get out to that factory, and man, I got first pick of those cards. Yep. And kind of like you did, I almost forgot about it for most of the game, <laughs> and I think I maybe used it once or twice. Yeah. But yeah. when I did, it was really effective. Yeah. And just having that ability right from the get-go was a lot of fun. And then from there, I tried to control a lot of towns. Right. That way, if I needed to, I mean, right before you ended that game, I had three mechs in three different towns ready to all move into that factory. And next thing I know, you walk into the factory with a bunch of mechs. And I'm like, what, what? Yeah. And then you ended the game, and I'm like, but, <laughs> no! Because at the end of the game, whoever controls that factory space, it counts as three separate territories. Yep, Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so this has just been a really enjoyable game for me. Kind of like Gold West, this is one I look forward to playing, and I will say, hey, let's play Scythe. Right.
0: Yeah. It's
1: not one that I'll just sit back and go, yeah, all right, let's play that one, I like that one. No, I, I actively look... To see the next time I get to play this because I want to see what new strategies I can employ, what new factions and boards I'm going to get and try and figure out the synergy that works the best. Mm -hmm. Maybe see, you know, my first game I had this objective card. I was the pacifist. I needed to have absolutely no power whatsoever but I think my uh, my popularity had to be at least 12 or 13 and I'm like well there's no way that's going to happen and Yeah, yeah. You never know. It it could be something that I could actually aspire for if I get that objective again.
0: Yeah, they're very cool and and those achievements, you know, we we've been talking about them as a trigger for the end of the game. So, you know, just so people understand um, you, know, you can get achievements for so many things in the game. You can get an achievement for getting all four of your mechs out, all eight of your workers out. You can get an achievement for all of your buildings. Uh, all four of your buildings, right? Um, you can get an achievement two two achievements uh, stars for combat, one achievement star for uh, completing uh, your objective card. Um, you can also uh, get an achievement for um, – what am I forgetting?
1: All of your upgrades. All of
0: your upgrades done, yes. Uh, if you get all of, all your, of upgrades your lieutenants done. out. Yep, and if you get all your, your uh, enlist actions done. Yep. So everything that you do in the game, you're kind of working towards trying to complete it so that you can get one of these achievement stars. Because at the end of the game, you're going to look at your popularity, and it's like a little – It's like a little chart. So Mm -hmm. if my popularity is in this level, then every hex I control is worth, you know, four points. Every um, star star that I have is worth three. And every two resources is worth two, Mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. So it's such a neat game. Um, The combat is the only complaint that I've been reading about on the forums. Um, You know, people who kind of felt that the game was going to be more confrontational than it was and less Euro-y. Mm-hmm. And more, you know, direct fighting. Um, especially with these cool mech sculptures. You know, everybody yeah. wants to go out there and fight me. right? Fight me! Um, which is, you know, tiger uppercut. Which is, you know, really cool. Um, but I, it doesn't bother me. You know, there's usually a few instances of combat in each game that I've played. Um, obviously with more players there's going to be more combat. But there's a few instances of combat... They're very important.
1: They are. This is one of the few games where I can say when you actually go into combat, you're doing it for a reason. Yeah. Like there is a really and big And it's not purpose. just to get the achievement star. It's not just to get the yeah. achievement star. Sometimes Unless you're it's trying your last get, one.
0: If it's the last one you're trying to get, you might do it. But yeah. otherwise, yeah, you're trying to accomplish something. Maybe
1: get the resources that are sitting in that region. Yes. Or, you know, you're hoping to win just so you can push all of the opposing forces back to their start. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of great reasons to go into combat, and I really appreciate the fact that in the game, like it, it kind of does encourage you to go into combat maybe once or twice, which is why right. you can only put two of those achievement stars out. If it was solely about combat, there might be four or five spaces for stars for combat, right, but right. you know that this game gives combat, I think, the right weight against all the other possibilities of things that you can do – to put those achievement stars out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you know the, the the combat, like you said, you're usually doing it for a reason, and it it, le- it lends itself um, to one of the other really unique features of the game that I really appreciate, which is that you have workers on these hexes, and the hex might produce metal, or it might produce um, wood, or or it might produce food, or whatever, right? But the when you take the production action, you are basically going to take a resource for each worker that you have in that hex, but the resource is in the hex. Mm -hmm. I mean the farmland is the farmland. And the mine is the mine, you know? And all of that stuff, you know, the forest is the forest. And so when those trees are cut down, you've got all this wonderful lumber that you can use to build your buildings, but you know, the woods over there. And, you know, you have to have people who are going to be able to get the wood to you and make the wood. But the wood sits there in the hex. You know, the steel, you know, the metal, you know, sits there in the hex. And so one of the cool things about the game is when you produce, you don't produce resources and put them with you. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, in your player area. No, 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 no. They're on the board because that's where the mine is or that's where the forest is. And so if I bring my big mech Stomping over, and all you have are a bunch of little workers. They kind of like go, Aah! ah, they run away, run away, Keep bravely runs Sir Robin. <laughs> right? And so the mech will comes stomping into an area, and the people will run away. And now I control those resources because mm-hmm. they, you know, they couldn't take all the trees with them, so they yeah, left the trees behind. They, they left couldn't. the ore behind, and now it's mine. Um, and that's called aggressive movement yes. when you displace workers, right? Because workers can't fight. No. However, you know, if I try to come into an area, you have a lot of resources, you might have your leader over there, or you might have one of your own mechs sitting there. Now we're going to have head-to-head combat, Mm -hmm. and when you have combat, it's this really cool combat system. I've heard people say it reminds them of Dune, uh, which I have not actually had the chance to play, Uh, but I know a lot of people have had the chance to play. You have this power dial, and you set the dial to the amount of power that you want to spend. Remembering power is a resource. When you bolster, you gain power. Uh, oh, that's the other way. You can gain an achievement star by being at the top of the power chart and at the top of the popularity chart. Oh ah, yes. Now, those are the two I forgot. Yes. Anyway, getting back to combat. So your dial goes from zero to seven. So you can bid nothing or you can bid seven, right? Now, you might have more than seven power, but you can't bring more than seven to the fight, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you have these combat cards that you can accumulate during the course of the game. You have a hand of them. And they range in value from two to five, right? So you have twos, threes, fours, and fives. So for each piece of plastic, not wood, each piece of cuz your workers are made of wood, your resources are made of wood, for each piece of plastic you have in the fight, which would be your mech or your leader or whatever. You are going to get to play one of those combat cards. So, I might look and set my combat dial to 4, play another card that's a 4, and so my combat total is 8. You however have, a, you know, two 5 cards in your hand, right? And you have, you know, 16 power. So you don't care about spending power, so you set your dial to 6 and you play your 5, you got 11. We reveal at the same time, you've won. Whoever loses, all of their pieces basically go back to their home starting area. So that's a big deal in this game, you know? And I've heard people complain, "Well, they should be eliminated, you know. They should be knocked out." And I don't mean to make that sound as nasty as I just did, but what I mean is like in a traditional combat game, they would be. They would be like eliminated. But because it's so difficult to make things in this game, mm-hmm. they don't. That's not the penalty. The penalty isn't. Oh well, now you have to make new workers. You have to make new mech. Mm-hmm. The penalty is good luck moving them right from your home base all the way back up to where they're going to do you any good before the game's over. Right. So in a game like this, you know the penalty, if you want to think of it that way, in combat is not only did your opponent just get a star, right, an achievement for winning a combat against your your mech pieces or your leader piece, um, but they've also pushed you back in such a way that it's going to take you a couple of cycles at least through your player board, unless you're the Russians, to get to the move (laughs) action twice so that you can redeploy your people out into a spot where they might be able to, again, produce resources for you or perhaps give you the opportunity to strike back or whatever. So... I kind of view that as working. Like, to me, that works. If the penalty was any harsher, no one would fight because it would almost be like a nuclear war kind of a thing where it's like nobody wants to lose all of their workers, all of their mechs. If I thought that in getting in a fight with you, I would lose two of my mechs, maybe lose two of those permanent abilities that I had gained very painfully through building all four of them and I would either have to rebuild them or maybe couldn't rebuild them because they had been destroyed, and I've now lost my workers, I would never attack because it would be just too costly. And so I think you would be set up in a game where nobody wants to attack anybody for fear of the devastation, right? Right. So I kind of like the fact that, you know, maybe thematically it doesn't work for some people, you know, this idea of you got pushed home. I don't view it as you got pushed home. I kind of view it as... We're bringing up fresh people and fresh mechs from our homeland. Yep. And, you know, they are reinforcements that are coming. So I kind of justify it that way, right? I don't, I don't say, oh, they ran away and they went back home and now they'll come back out. You know, it's like scared little mice. You know it, No, I mean, to me, it just works. It mm-hmm. works mechanically um, and it works for me thematically. But I understand why some people, you know, have complained about that a little bit. Um, do you have any complaints about the game or anything that you don't particularly care for? Nothing
1: in particular other than just that first time through playing it, it's going to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. There's so much to think about and so many little combinations that you're not going to catch. It's a beautiful-looking game. The components are top-notch, but Mm -hmm. you also have this awesome Kickstarter version as well. Right, right. Um, But there's just, oh my goodness, there's so much to think about, even though the rules are very straightforward. They, they do have a bit of weight to them, but there wasn't anything that was unclear. Right. There wasn't anything that I was like, well, what does this mean? Let's look it up real quick because I don't quite understand. No, it's all very straightforward. Mm-hmm. But there's just so much to consider and so many – Steps you're going to need to take to do what it is you ultimately want to do and realize, oh, wow, it just took me five turns to do that and that was just to get one mech out. You know, wow. That was a big commitment. So, yeah, I think my only major complaint is that you're going to struggle through the first time you play this game and then the next time you play it, you're going to have a much better, clearer understanding Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. here's what I want to do, here's what I'm looking for, here's what I better understand about how these two action selection spots kind of work in the synergy. So now I have a better understanding of how to do this when I need to do it and be more effective about it.
0: Yeah, and I can't agree with you enough about that because so much of this game to me, my initial impressions kind of strategically thinking about the game is one very simple hard and fast rule, which is the more times you can take double actions the better you're going to do mm-hmm. you know when i go to an action selection area and i can only do the top action or i can only do the bottom action i feel like i've left meat on the bone right right so trying to set yourself up and maneuver so that you can get into a cycle of being able to complete the double actions every turn i'd say by mid game to late game you should be able to set yourself up where you're doing double actions most of the time. But the interesting thing about that is that I've also had game experiences like the last one I played WBC, not with the kid who destroyed me because I I basically just started the game. But the last game I played, um, you you can get into a situation where you stumble. Like you, you made one miscalculation which throws you off of your loop Yes. And then it takes you like a few rounds to get the loop back. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you just took three turns in a row where you're only taking one action. Yeah. And everybody else is still taking two and you're like, "Oh my god, I think I just lost the game." <laughs> right? And so, that's a really like, you know, I don't find that a flaw at all. To me, that's a feature. You know, that's that's kind of showing how much planning has to go into playing the game well. And if you play it well, You're going to be rewarded. You're going to be Mm -hmm. rewarded with these synergies, with these combos, with these, oh, my God. So this trade action just gave me, for $1, these two metal, which I can use on the bottom action to put out my mechs because now my mechs only cost two. And when I build a mech, I also get this benefit from my enlist action that's now revealed. And, wow, that was an awesome turn. So I build the mech. I get $2. I get the uh, combat card bonus. And basically, I just fed myself. Like, I, I did a trade action, which gave me what I needed for the build mech action, which gave me the bonus. You know, and it's a, it's a great feeling Yeah, when you can pull those things off. So, you know, my only complaint about the game, and I'm not even sure it's a complaint, Lloyd, is um, I, I have struggled with the blue faction. Like, I have started taking the blue faction now when I teach the game because I've played it a lot. I still find them the weakest in terms of their inherent uh, ability. You know, the the white faction, the Polish faction, being able to get two bonuses from encounter cards is huge. We already talked about yeah, that. Yeah, it's really The red faction's ability to be able to take the same action twice, you know. Uh, huge, hugely beneficial. Spending combat cards to uh, enable you to get free resources when resources are so hard to come by. huge. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to just uh, you know focus on getting your mechs out early and just stomping on stuff you know um, building up a hand of combat cards, getting your mechs out—that's um, a big advantage. Like for the players to understand that at any time they could be attacked, and at, because you know the German faction can just go at any time and just attack anybody and get an unlimited number of stars for every combat they win. Mm-hmm. So those are all huge benefits. My little meeple workers being able to swim across the river, not that earth-shattering. <laughs> like it feels pretty good at the start of the game, but the trade action I think kind of blunts their ability. Let me, let me explain what I mean. If the blue faction's workers, all right, because when when you start the game, let me back up the truck. When you start the game, each faction starts in a weird little area. It's like a little triangle. And you'll have access to two resources and sort of your home area. And then you're going to be kind of cut off by rivers, all right, and possibly a lake. And the rivers are going to prevent you from getting to other resource fields. So you might have a village at home so you can produce more workers. And you might have a mine so you can produce um, some, you know, iron or steel, right, whatever you want to call the metal resource. So you produce metal. But you can't produce food and you can't produce wood. So you're kind of at a situation where you can do a little bit of stuff at the start of the game in your home territory, but you really have to, to build your first mech pretty quickly because it has what's called Riverwalk. Mm-hmm. And mechs can carry your workers. They can carry as many workers as they want across the river for one movement point. So, you know, a mech can just pick up your workers and move them for you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the blue faction doesn't have to do that. The blue faction workers can just kind of swim across the river and go to those resource fields. But what I'm finding is that that's not as big of a deal when you can get your mechs out quickly. And anybody who's played this game enough is going to do you know, trade action where you basically spend a dollar, you get two resources, whatever you want. Um, And they're going to do that a couple times. They're going to have the resources they need. They're going to get that mech out. And there goes Blue's advantage. Blue has really no other advantage for the rest of the game. You might have gotten a couple dudes to swim across a river and it's like, hey, I can get one wood. Or, you know, look, I got one. I got one food, you know. (laughs) Yay for me. But that's it. Um, And so I kind of find the Blue faction to be weak. Um, And again, it could very well be that I just haven't played it enough or... You know, there'll be another kid that I'll play who will show me the error of my ways and kick my butt <laughs> with the Blue Faction. But right now, I find the Blue Faction to be a little bit underpowered, which I think if you're playing at the max player count, could be a problem, right? Because yeah. someone is going to feel. Because that was, that was who you had in your first game. My too.
1: first game I played is Blue Faction. And
0: I played, you know, yeah. the, the White Polish, you played faction, the white Polish, right? Polish um, faction. And so it's kind of like, ah, you know, I, I just don't know. Now, When you're not playing at the full player count, um, I just take blue. I take blue because I've got experience with the game. I know how it works, and so it kind of handicaps me, Mm -hmm. I kind of feel. And it keeps the game a little bit closer, right? So I don't know if others have have felt the same thing, but that would be my only complaint about the game is that I feel the blue faction is a little underpowered. Other than that, artwork is fantastic and evocative. Very beautiful. Um, The components are fantastic. Board is, is beautiful. Um, the gameplay is compelling, interesting. Uh, it's got long-term strategic planning, great tactical decisions that have to be made. Even when a you, little
1: bit of storytelling Yeah, too. a little bit of yeah. storytelling
0: to it. It's kind of got everything. I, I really, really enjoy this game. It has completely lived up to the hype for me. Um, I, I rate it a solid 8, 8.5. Um, the only thing to me keeping it from that 9-10 region is the Blue Faction. And I, as much as I love the art on the uh, encounter cards, I just wish there was like a little blurb at the top, like some sort of a title, mm-hmm. you know, like you come upon a disgruntled soldier or, you know, you find, uh, you know, a panicked mother in a field or, or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the picture is beautiful and shows that. And then when you read the text, it, it matches that. Right. What we have now is the designer um, you know, even encourages you. I, I think they intentionally left titles off because they, they encourage you to pass the cards around the table, let everybody look, and then read the choices. Because in the reading of the choices, you'll understand the picture. Yes. The picture will make sense as you read the choices, right? Um, but I, I just – maybe I'm lazy. I would just like that little title <laughs> just so that – I could read the title and show the card and everybody'd be like, Oh, okay, I get it. Like I see where this is gonna go. What are your you know, what are the choices? You know, and then you say what the choices are and then you, you pick one, you know. Um, the, the fact that I kind of really have to pass the card around the table and everyone looks at it and it's like, huh, I wonder why that, you know, lady is standing there with a bunny and you're, you know, what, what's that all about? There is no card with a bunny, by the way, but I'm just making that up. But it's like, I don't get it, you know, and then you read the choice and you're like, oh, OK, now I understand why she has a bunny. I, I would kind of like it if there was a title personally. Um, it's a very small quibble. I'm having to hunt for things that I have to complain about with yeah. this one. Um, but you know, the blue faction to me is, is something that I take seriously that I kind of knocked a half point off for that. Um, you know, which, which took it from like that nine to an eight and a half. Um, and, and just, you know, the thematics of the game are there, but I, they're not as strong as I thought they were going to be. Um, all of the theme is in the art. All of the theme is in the encounter cards. Mm -hmm. All of the theme is in the sculpts. The rest of it is a Euro game, you yes. know. It's an area control, worker placement, engine building, resource management, resource management game. Right, you know. So the theme isn't as strong as I would have hoped it would have been in a perfect world. But again, I'm only knocking like a point for that, right? So I put this at around an eight and a half, personally for me. Um, what about you, Lloyd?
1: I would actually agree. You know, good solid eight to eight and a half. Now, I haven't played this nearly as much as you have, but Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the amount of time and effort that went into designing this really beautiful game Uh that, you know, like we've said, it's a medium weight as far as the rules go, but it gives you a lot of choices. And there's so many different things that you can do, and I Mm -hmm. just so appreciate that about this game. Um, I'm pretty sure once the expansion is released that it might even knock it up to a nine for me.
0: It might. It could be another Viticulture first edition versus Viticulture second edition versus Viticulture with Tuscany. You know, each time the game got better, Mm -hmm. you know. And so you might be right. I mean, because there are symbols on the board that denote each faction and there are two symbols on the board that do not have a faction associated with them, and it 's clear that you know that 's going to be the expansion is going to be two new factions, so you know that 's going to be awesome um, that 's going to increase the conflict I think for people who are looking for more conflict yeah um, and maybe they 'll be able to tweak the blue faction in some way you know when they did it, if others feel the same way I do i 'm mm-hmm. sure that you know they 'll take a look at that and maybe tweak it a little bit. Um, you know, so that uh, it's a little more naturally competitive with the other factions. So, I'll be kind of curious to see, you know, how that all um, pans out. But for right now, with just the game as it is, uh, I heartily recommend it. I think it's a it's a wonderful game. And so we've reviewed two winners this week in in Gold West and in Scythe. Um, the other thing that I would say is, you know, the Kickstarter, 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 right? Yeah. Okay, my version is the deluxe or premium or whatever, right? So let me just explain. Um, The only difference that I'm really aware of between my edition and the standard retail edition is there's some more cards Mm -hmm. and counter cards and things of that nature. Those were stretch goals. Uh, Mine has the metal coins, but it also has the cardboard coins and the cardboard coins are perfectly fine. Like there's nothing wrong with them. They're the same kind of cardboard coins that you would have had in, in viticulture or that are in Matt Gertz's, you know, games like Hamburgum or something, you know, mm-hmm. different sizes, different colors, um, you know, navigador or something like that. Nothing wrong with the components at all. I, you're not gonna lose anything in gameplay because you're still gonna get the, the mechs, you're still gonna get the character sculpts. And so you know i don't think like you say oh man i you know i missed the boat or you know i didn't have this um i'm glad that i have you know those extra things but the game is going to be fine without them um i just want to kind of like throw that out there so that people aren't thinking that you know you you have to have this particular edition that i backed in order to have a, a good gameplay experience it's not true at all if you decide you want those metal coins and stuff, I know that they're setting up for another run, you know, like pre-orders and stuff, and, uh, you know, you, you'll probably be able to get those later, you know, or you can order coins from, um, who is it, Academy Games has, you know, wonderful uh, metal coins that you can kind of use for any game, so, you know, you can get them through Stonemire, you can get them somewhere else if you really want to kind of bling it out like that, um, but there's so much variety in the game, just in the base game, the retail version, you're going to be fine with it. Um, the premium version that you know maybe a Kickstarter backer got just has some extra stuff, but um, you're going to be happy, I think, no matter what you do. So this is a game that regardless of whether you're looking at the retail version or a Kickstarter version, you're going to be happy with. I just want to throw that out there. So that's our uh, review, and those are our thoughts for Scythe, uh, the latest, greatest hotness. Um, from uh, designer Jamie Stegmeier and publisher Stonemeyer Games, artist of Jacob Rizalski. So I uh, want to say to everybody out there uh, who's listening, uh, thanks for tuning in and hearing our thoughts about uh, Gold West and Inside. And as always, if you're interested in any of the games that you're hearing about here on the show, uh, please go check out Gamesurplus.com and put it in order. Ask Velma to track down some copies for you, and uh, she'll be sure to get them off to you just as quick as can be at a great price with fantastic packaging and attention to detail. And uh, if you've got a pie-in-the-sky game, you've always been thinking, boy, I wish I could get a copy of that, why don't you ask her about it at the same time because I'll bet you she can snag it for you. So go check out gamesurplus.com. So for Roy Keller and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening, and have a great night.